listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 214. What's up, Paige? What's going on, Mark? Something different. What do you mean? You know our buddies over at ExxonMobil? Not, not like, in, kind, yeah. <laughs> not in like real life, but like them, yeah. So ExxonMobil peeps, it looks like over 40 jobs y'all are looking for in China and upstream. Kind of curious what you're up to. Remember our buddy Gage McCoy from the Midland Happy Hour? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gage. That's yep. my, my ginger. Yep. <laughs> Big shout out to Gage. He sent me this. It looks like ExxonMobil's doing some serious hiring in China. So number one, awesome that ExxonMobil's hiring. Number two, what's going on? Yeah, that's a... I'm, I just I, want to know. If I, anybody knows, reach out to me. Let me know. I'm not looking for the the skinny on what's going on. I'm just curious. <laughs> like, you know, what's going on? I do think it's cool they're hiring. Though. I just wanted to point that out that, you know, even in this crazy middle of 2020, still COVID-19, there's still companies hiring. In this case, a very big company. Not hiring here in Texas as much as they were, but still yeah. companies are hiring, which is a good thing. Yeah. A light at the end of the tunnel. Speaking of lights at the end of the tunnel, what's going on with the news this week? Oh, man, there's all kinds of stuff going on. So first article is Berkshire Hathaway sells its oxy state. <laughs> we could probably just end it there. Everybody knows what's going on. <laughs> but I tell you what, when, when Warren Buffett makes a decision, he's almost always right. Now, the funny thing about him and his fund is that when they make decisions, a lot of times for me, and I'm not a big investor, it makes no sense. And then something will happen a year later or 18 months later, go, darn it, how did they know that was coming? But, you know, Berkshire decided it no longer wanted to state in Occidental. It completed all the paperwork. They had at least $10 billion investment in preferred shares when they, Occidental was trying to take over Anadarko. You know, Occidental's shares have tumbled over 60% this year, like everybody else's. The really kind of rumorish thing is, is Chevron going to step back in after Berkshire Hathaway and Anadarko and Occidental, everybody kind of crashed. Is Chevron going to step back in and get what they want for even less money than what they originally bid? And if so, are they going to use that, what was it, $1 billion in penalties that Occidental had to pay Chevron when Chevron walked away from the deal? How cool would it be if Chevron, either through accident or on purpose, kind of figured out all this stuff was coming and decided to back off and just wait and see what happens? It's going to be interesting. Yeah. You know, Chevron picked up, was it all of Noble's assets? Yes. Right? Yep. And they're really, that's really a, a play in the Permian. You know, you look at Occidental's assets, they're heavy there too. So would not be, not be beyond reason to think that may happen. But anyway, the news is Berkshire backed out. They're out of the game. It looks like they're doing a little bit of work to try to increase their shareholder value a little bit, especially also paying a dividend. So, you know, Warren Buffett doesn't make mistakes. He did this for a reason. He came in, the world had changed dramatically. Now he's stepping out, which leaves the door open for somebody else to come in. I hear he's got an int He's looking into gold. Uh, he's always been involved in minerals. He's involved yeah. in everything. <laughs> Not surprising. All right. So next one is Shell is recruiting science graduates to build blockchain use cases for oil and gas. Hey, college students, if you want to do something really cool with a really cool company, I mean, 
can you imagine anything more fun than actually doing blockchain work for somebody like Shell? <laughs> this is awesome. And you know what's interesting about blockchain? A big shout out to uh, Andrew Bruce over at Data Gumbo. Yeah. They were the one of the first companies I saw commercialized blockchain technology in oil and gas. It's basically smart contracts. And it's an incredibly simple piece of technology that takes something extremely complicated like joint venture contracts and makes it transparent impossible to forge and fake stuff and be dishonest and makes it easy to execute. And so Shell is one of the first companies I know had jumped into the smart contracts blockchain part, and then everybody else jumped in. And then this hiring thing that Shell's doing, they're looking for people all over the world that want to get into blockchain, especially if they have some type of technology program or technology background, educational background. And they're actually, Shell's actually built a, a blockchain center of excellence, so COE. And so the people that are going to be doing this work are going to be thinking of new ways to help Shell's business using technology like blockchains. They're looking for people with master's degrees, but if you have a bachelor's degree and and work experience in blockchain, especially in oil and gas, go apply as well because what they're really looking is for people that can help to make a difference using technology in their business. You know, they're using blockchain right now to trade. I think that's going to be a new thing. And then, you know, they're actually working with companies that we all know. Actually, some of our sponsors of ours, like Deloitte and IBM, Accenture, Oracle, and KPMG. So if you're a graduate, recent graduate, if, you have, if you're in your master's degree program right now and you touch blockchain type of technology, go check out the Shell website, go hire. Actually, let's do a favor. Let's put a link in the show notes for the actual Shell career website. So people can just go to the show notes, click and go apply and for these jobs and look at the other jobs that Shell's hiring for. You know, even though oil is still below $45 a barrel right now and global demand is still suppressed because of this whole COVID-19 lockdown. And even though Shell has right-sized or, or laid some people off, they're still hiring. So, you know, big companies like this have to keep the business running. So we'll put a link in the show notes, go check them out. I just think it's awesome to hire people to do blockchain work. Yeah, it is. All right. So next one is ConocoPhillips gets U.S. green light for Alaska oil project. About darn time. The only thing I don't like about this is is there's a tiny bit of a political spin in here. But this is ConocoPhillips Willow project. They're looking to, draw, to drill five sites and then build all the infrastructure pipelines and roads and man camps and all that sort of stuff for this project. This is going to help Alaska with some of the declines in its other production. It looks like uh, Alaska's all output has dropped 404,000 barrels from its peak of 2 million barrels in 1988. Now, Goodness. Yeah, I don't know how much of that, though, is demand right now, right? Because the, the demand has been suppressed so much. But the biggest producer in Alaska right now by volume is ConocoPhillips. They've been there for a very long time. They understand the difficulties. They understand the politics. They understand the finances. They understand the, the timetables, right? So here's ConocoPhillips wholly and also doing some joint venture work to get these wells in to build the infrastructure the pipelines to bring those pipelines back to the Alaskan pipeline so they can move all that crude to markets that need it so you know good for Alaska good for ConocoPhillips and nice to see that even in toward the end of this election year that the Bureau of Land Management is still trying to do business as it should there's a little bit of politics in, in BLM but they're really trying to do the right thing well they are the government <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> so it's just nice to see that they approve this. Let's hope there's no pushback, which I'm sure there will be. There's always pushback. There's always pushback. All right. Companies offer a super cool solution of flaring gas in the Permian. Such, such a pun play on words. You know what's cool about this page? I'm, I'm glad you found this. I've never even thought about this solution. And it's the it's from a conceptual point of view, it's an easy solution. Now, tactically, I'm not sure how easy it is to actually do this. But 
basically what they want to do is they want to take this flare gas and turn it to LNG. So they want to uh, chill it down. You know, you're looking at minus 260 degrees Fahrenheit. At that point, the natural gas becomes a liquid. And when it's a liquid, not only is the energy much denser, but it's much easier to transport. You can now move it in cargo containers, trucks, rails, pipelines. But the problem is most LNG plants are enormous. And the amount of flare glass that we generate is, number one, erratic, right? So you have these three wells in this part of the Permian and 100 miles away, you have these 17 wells and 27 miles, you have these 13 wells all producing flare gas. How do you get that gas to an LNG plant in sufficient quantities to make it economically viable? And in this article, the solution is very small LNG plants, which I didn't even know existed. But evidently up in the Northeast part of the US, these small scale LNG plants have been around for a while. And what they do is they help provide extra gas during the frigid winters when there's an extra demand for heat. So you could take that same technology, or which is called microscale plants, bring them out to the places where there's flaring, grab that flare gas, compress it to liquid, and then you can actually bring it to the market. Cool thing is now the operators right now that are flaring, there's a cost of that flaring, but that cost of that flaring is much less than trying to move that natural gas into the system. So that's why they flare. Well, if this is done well, and if the research that I'm looking at right now is is legit and the facts are the facts, it looks like these microscale LNG plants can actually do it for around the same cost of actually flaring the gas. The benefit would be you don't flare and it gets put back in the system. And these micro LNG plants now can make a profit off that. That profit will drive them to hire more LNG plants. So just kind of a win-win all the way around. The one thing that they're having to, to struggle with right now is customers. Natural gas is extreme, still extremely cheap here in the U.S., although it's been going up, which is awesome. And so we have to get long-term contracts for these small-scale LNG plants from like power plants and municipalities so that they can then feel safe financially to build these small-scale LNG plants to then convert the flared gas into a product. But I just it's just an easy, awesome idea. I, I hope this thing takes off. It looks like it looks like there's several companies. Edge LNG is operating in the Marcellus, in the Bakken, and it looks like they're already have some customers and they're doing microscale LNG, and now they're looking at the Permian. So right now they're looking for customers. So if anybody's listening that is an electrical generation provider or anybody out there that would buy LNG in you know the area of the country from Texas to New Mexico, uh, reach out to these people and see. Reach out to Edge and see if you can, you know, pick up some LNG for for much cheaper than from the bigger players and actually help the environment at the same time. I would love if somebody does this in a permian. I'd love to travel out there with our video crew and and see this from beginning to end. I don't know if our videographer would like it too much, but <laughs> yeah, no. but the, but yeah. Uh, after about fifteen minutes of no Wi-Fi, I'd be ready to come home. Yeah, no kidding. And for those that don't know, our videographer is Ethan LaCour, which is Mark's son. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So let's get into some drama. Not us. <laughs> U.S. seizes 1.1 million barrels of Iranian gasoline bound for Venezuela. DOJ. Yeah. We told you. We told you don't do it. <laughs> we told you if you did it, we would seize it. They did it. We seized it. So the U.S. government seized four large Iranian gasoline carriers with uh, 1.12 million barrels bound for Venezuela. You know, we have sanctions. They've been there for a while. We've got you know, bits and pieces of the Navy out there protecting everything. And then on the 14th of August, the U.S. district judge issued a seized order, and they confiscated the cargoes from four tankers. That I don't want to mention the names. Bella, actually, well, the Bella, the Bering, the Pandy, and the Luna. So after we seized the fuel, Iran's Navy boarded an unre- un- un- a ship that was unrelated to the event and it t- attempt to try to recover the seized gasoline. Tough. We seized it. It's gone. You know, and this is just the U.S. trying to make sure that the sanctions actually 
do what we put them there for. And that means tightening down on illegal shipments like this illegal shipment of gasoline. You know, it, and it's not just, it's not the dollar amount, although the, the dollar is the main driver of this, but it's also, we're trying to send a message. Actually, we're not trying. We have sent a message to both Iran and Venezuela, but anybody doing business with those two countries don't violate the sanctions, right? If you don't violate the sanctions, you're fine. If you violate the sanctions, stuff like this is going to happen. Now, of course, we all know what's going on in Venezuela. Basically, the economy has a cr- collapsed. The government can't feed its people. There's not diapers and medical supplies. You know, their oil production has plummeted during this black swan event where they can't get much money for their their oil. And then, you know, a lot of people think that the global market. Now, the thing about the Venezuelan oil, though, it's very valuable to the U.S. It's very complex, very heavy crude, and it's very physically close to us. So, you know, if we can work through this, if the sanctions do what they're supposed to do, which is help us get a better government in place so that people of Venezuela can feed themselves and, you know, buy diapers for their, their kids. And, you know, if we can get back to normal and we can help them get their infrastructure built back up and if we can help them get their production back up, one of the biggest buyers for their for their oil is here in the U.S., but, you know, even though they subsidize a gasoline for their population, they can't even, even though they have the crude oil, they can't produce enough gasoline for their own population. So they're having to buy it. And nobody or very few countries want to risk the sanctions. In this case, Iran risked the sanctions and they got caught. Yeah. So speaking of that, the next article is Iranians raided tanker off of UAE searching for one million barrels of petroleum seized by U.S. because they were, quote unquote, looking for their gas. Yeah. So first thing is, if you look at a map, why they thought their gasoline was diverted to that part of the world, I have no idea. Now, it's not like the Department of Justice and the U.S. Navy call me routinely for my advice, but I guarantee you when they planned this, they knew their exit routes. They probably had two or three. And then once we made that seizure of the gasoline, probably within 24 hours, it was divvied up and it was gone. And so this case, you know, Iran is trying to find their gasoline that they say we stole. We didn't steal. In the Gulf of Oman. I know. They boarded some other tankers. These tankers were owned by Libyan and, and they were Libyan and Greek owned tankers. And then, you know, once they found out they couldn't find their gasoline, they quite honestly, they didn't know what they, they wanted to do. Now, this is Iranian special forces. And I'm bringing it up for a very specific reason. Most of these seizures, even though U.S. Coast Guard, U.S. Navy are involved, they're there to protect everybody, not just the Americans, but also the people on the, in the crews of the ships that are violating the sanctions. When the Iranian special forces are involved, that's an itchy trigger finger, right? That's, that's You're getting to the point where all it takes is one mistake, one radio call sign missed or whatever, and the shooting starts and it just escalates from there. Yeah. Number one, we don't want that to happen with a super taker full of gasoline. No, that's, that's <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of flammable. I don't know. And number two, Iran... Don't start anything with us. Just it's we're don't start. Yeah. Don't start. None won't be none. Yeah. So let's hope this all stuff quiets down. You know, the world right now does not need another conflict. No. People and governments are on their you know last nerve, right? And I just I just I'm so fearful something like this and it's minors could trigger something huge in the Middle East. And we just don't need that to happen right now. So everybody just kind of keep cool. Yeah. Chill out. All right. The Mariatis major hair collecting campaign to prevent environmental disaster. Paige, this has to be one of the coolest articles. So not only did I learn something, but it's funny and it's awesome and it's good for the environment. You want to talk about what happened? No, I'll let you do it. (laughs) Okay. So everybody's heard about that Japanese ship that hung up on a coral reef on July 25th. 
took a little while, started leaking uh, crude oil. The problem is that's a pristine environment. You know, it's tropical environment. And so they needed to clean up this oil and they needed to do it extremely quickly. Now they had a thousand tons of, actually I was wrong. It's not crude oil, it's fuel oil. So they had a thousand tons of fuel oil that were spilled and there were still another 2000 tons still in the tanks that was leaking. And so the companies reached out to all field medication companies that were geographically close. A whole bunch of companies jumped in. But one of the first thing they did is they reached out to, was it, is it Haiti is where they reached out? They reached out to whatever the Caribbean country is that's right there. And they asked all the salons and barbers that cut hair, can you save our hair scraps? Because I didn't know this, but human hair absorbs up to one kilogram of human hair absorbs up to eight kilogram of oil. So it's a very good way to capture oil that spills, especially on the surface of the water. And so they gathered up all these hair scraps and they used it to contain the oil, which is incredible. And I didn't know that was one of the first used during the, the um, deep water horizon. Yeah, the BP Macondo disaster. Yeah. And so who would have ever thought that human hair can help keep oil from entering the environment? But obviously it does. The kind of cool thing is, and I'm not being too funny, it's a renewable oil remediation, right? Your hair grows back. Yeah. You just cut it again. Yeah. So I, I just think it's cool that they use this incident. They use, during this bad incident, they use something that was quick and easy to get that is very effective, that is totally organic, which is human hair. And they've cleaned it up. They're still, you know, still got bits and pieces of the state island park that they they're still clean up by hand but there's no reason to bring skimmers or anything else out there and it just they cleaned it up with human hair that you know came from the local community so i just what a what a cool solution to what could have been a really bad natural disaster well how weird does hair-based boom sound <laughs> yeah that's what they use with deep water hair-based boom yeah that's how they tested it. That sounds like a hip hop song from um, <laughs> Hair based boom. Oh, okay. So the next article is Southwestern Energy to acquire montage resources and all stock deal. Yeah, we've been talking about this. Everybody knows it. The people that are in a better financial position are snapping up the people that are not in a better financial position. You know, this is a Southwestern expanding the Appalachian footprint. You know, Montage has some really good assets. I'm sure that's been on Southwestern's radar for a very long time. Just had to wait till the dollars made sense. But this transaction is going to help everybody. It's going to keep Montage from going out of business so their, their workers can keep their jobs. It's to give Southwest more leverage, a little bit more operational efficiency, some better acreage. And it's just going to be good for the shareholders of Southwestern Energy and for the employees of Montage. So John Reinhart, the president and CEO of Montage Resources, commented that this transaction creates a compelling opportunity for both Southwestern and Montage to benefit from the strength of the consolidated company, which I agree 100%. This also makes Southwestern one of the bigger operators out there, and they're continually to grow. The cool thing is their debt is actually very minimal. So I would not be surprised if this is the, not the only acquisition they make this year. And if anybody knows John Reinhart with a Montage Resource, I would love to see if he wanted to be a guest on your show page. Oh, no, that'd be great. Yeah. So if anybody knows him, reach out and see if he wants to be a guest on Only Gas Industry Leader Show, because I think this was a really good move at a very opportune time. I mean, you know, hats off to you for, for executing well. And like I said, it's good for everybody. Agreeable. All right. So Willie Nelson and Paul Simon rail against controversial Texas pipeline. Do you want to talk about this? So apparently they live out in Fredericksburg, Texas, which is hill country. Yeah. And they're talking about, I don't know how much you know about pipeline construction, but after reading this, I kind of dug a little bit because it sounded, they made it sound like they were 
They were drilling wells. Yeah, they they used to they literally used the word drilling fluids. Right. And aquifers. Right, right. Right. Yeah. But what I do know is whenever you get approval to build a a pipeline, there are things in the way like aquifers, roads, and what happens is they bore underneath yep, that. Directional drilling they go under. Exactly. So apparently, I think it was the some sort of clay that they disturbed, or that's what they used to bore, and it kind of upset the Trinity aquifer and hit one of the air pockets. But they used the benzonite clay and water, and that's it. But all it has to do is settle. But it upset some wells, and it just needs a chance to settle. Some well, anyway, water wells. Yeah, some water wells. Yeah. Yeah, so let me add a little bit more f- color to that. So any type of infrastructure construction, you could be building subway tunnels, you could be building sewage lines. Or you could be laying cables. Laying cables, you could be doing natural gas lines, electrical lines, whatever. You've seen these guys on the side of the street with this machine and there's like this pipe going sideways on the side of the road and there's trucks with tanks of water. That's directional drilling. Right. right? And they're drilling under and around stuff. Sometimes they make a mistake. In this case, they did not make a mistake. They hit an air pocket, which caused the drill string to rise, right? Now, they're not – they call it – in this article, they call it drilling fluid. And I guess technically it is. It's water and mud, quite simply, right? So when they say it contaminated the aquifer – It'd be sort of like if I had you, you had an underground tank of chocolate frosting for cakes mm-hmm. and we drilled under it and we were drilling with water and sugar mm-hmm. and the sugar got in the cake frosting. Mm-hmm. Would you count that as contamination since there's already sugar in the cake frosting? No. No. That's the same thing here. So they got some mud and water mixed with mud and water. Yeah. Right. And like you said, they need to let it settle the-, the Well, water. it sails itself apparently. Yeah. And so th- this is, I'm not a country music fan. I don't really know these. I mean, I know who Paul Simon and Willie are, of course, but you know, to me, these are two people that don't understand our industry raising a ruckus around something that's going to lower their cost of living and provide taxes so that we can keep the hill country pure. You know, those federal parks and state parks need income. One of the biggest sources of income is their minerals, right? Right. And when you have things like this where it's a right-of-way to move those minerals, it's income not only for the state, but for the parks and also the people who live in that community. Not real sure why Paul Simon and Willie Nelson don't want people to work in the hill country and make well, a Well, I just think he should stick to what he's good at, smoking pot. <laughs> and not paying his taxes? <laughs> and I guess, I, yeah. But what 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 kind of bothered me is he, he they say it's the right time for the Texas Railroad Commission and U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to step in. That's where they got the freaking permits. Right. Yeah, so they did everything they were supposed to do. And like I said, this was... This is not an environmental catastrophe. It wasn't even really an environmental incident. It's an, it's something that happens often when you're doing infrastructure projects and everybody's okay. The water table's going to be okay. The aquifer's going to be okay. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. Leave Kendra Morgan alone. Calm yeah, down. Yeah, please. Or Richard come after you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate to get political, but Biden VP pick has record of fighting the oil industry, which we all kind of knew, but let's talk about it. Yeah, so, you know, I will now get involved in politics when it's needed. This is a perfect case. You know, this presidential election this year is unbelievably important for our industry. Typically, in an election year for president, we typically have two sides. We have one side that doesn't like us and one side that doesn't know what we're doing. This year, we have one side that hates us with the passion and thinks we're the devil itself. And another side that sort of knows slightly better what we're doing, but still doesn't understand our industry. And so from an industry point of view, you don't want to vote for a group that hates us and thinks we're the devil. 
and and this is what's going on here. And it's it just I try not to get upset, but when people in positions of power like Harris talk about this sort of stuff, number one, they have no educational background. This they're not engineers, they're not project managers, they never work in our industry, they don't understand the industry. They have no problem using our products, right? Right. They have no problem turning an electric switch or having cars. Or flying tires, in a plane to get to their plane. Democratic convention. Or- yeah. And so and then you get into the thing of what is the reality. Typically in an election year, when the left side talks about restricting our industry, I'm not really usually not really worried about it. You have big lobby organization like the API that fights that in Washington. And then the fact is no matter what people say, they still vote with their checkbook. So you know, even though you tell me you don't like my industry, the moment you get in your car, you're putting money in my pocket. You know, eventually, this election page is different. I'm, I'm worried, pretty terrified. I'm worried that they're going to implement stuff that has hurt the entire American population. You know, if you start restricting the use of hydrocarbons, the cost of electricity is going to go up in this country. For the you know, for the last ten years, it's been going down. We're just now bringing manufacturing jobs back from overseas because the cost of our electricity is so cheap. And if you do increase the cost of living by increasing the cost of energy in the U.S., the people get hurt the worst are the ones that have the lowest income. Yeah, right? especially like like what's going on in California right now, where With the blackouts. blackouts. They, and you know, during the summer, they can't afford. They don't have enough electricity to give to everybody because of their politics. They've gotten rid of a lot of natural gas and coal-fired electrical generation. They 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 firmly believe that renewables can cover it, and look at what's happening. It's not. Once again, folks, nothing against re- renewables. I love renewables. We're going to start an all-gas renewables podcast, but the reality is you need something there when the wind's not blowing, the sun's not shining, bottom exactly. line, right? And at the same time, if you can produce electrical energy cheaper with natural gas than with other methods, why would you not implement that so that everybody pays less for their electricity and less for their groceries and less for everything else? It affects the quality of life. Yeah, it definitely affects the quality of life. And we're seeing a huge, I shouldn't say huge, we're seeing a very large mass exodus from California to Texas because literally people can't afford to live there anymore. And if you're those people that are coming from California and coming to Texas, number one, welcome. Yeah. What's up, Joe Rogan? Number two, please be aware that some of your political decisions probably increase the cost of living in California. Please do not bring those types of decisions to Texas. Yeah. Or you can get out again. Yeah. Get out of here. So just this is, you know, uh, I don't want to go too too much deeper into this article. Basically, we for the first time in my lifetime, we have a political group that will do whatever it can to make us go away, whether it's good for the the population or not. And you know, whether they can actually pull it off, I don't know, but I don't even want to try and get there. So, you know, people, if, if you work in the oil and gas industry, do me a favor and take the time to actually vote. I'm not gonna tell you which side to vote for. Get up, go to the polls and vote. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't I don't go to the the polls and vote straight Republican. That's that's maniacal. It's it's silly. You look at your candidates, you look and see what they stand for. And, and in some cases, I have to vote for the lesser evil. Yeah. You know, Paige, I'm actually glad you brought that up. So when you look at, especially in a presidential election, when you look at who's running, it can be overwhelming. But you and I spend what? We print out who's running, who's on the ballots. Mm-hmm. And we spend what? 30 minutes? Probably. Well, I spend a little more time than I share it with you and let and kind of fill you in on what. But an hour, on. maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm always prepared. I mean, I've been a, a campaign manager before for a campaign, and it's just, it's critical. Yeah. And so this is the investment I'm asking you to make, listeners. Spend an hour, you know, print out who's running, spend an hour going through, look at what they stand on, take a red pen and, and draw a line through the ones you don't want to vote for or however you want to do it. Highlight the ones. You I highlight the ones I'm certainly voting for. But before I do that, I mark 
everybody out that I'm not for. Yeah. Print it out. Bring it with you to the polls. So you're looking at, at the most, two hours out of your year, out of every four years. So I'm asking you to donate two hours every four years to to do what you're responsibly is as an American citizen and go vote. And and it's most importantly for everyone to know to definitely print it out because you cannot bring your cell phone. Yep. That's a good point. So yeah, it's not a big investment in time. It, I'm really disappointed as an American when we have presidential elections and we look at the percentage of turnout of voters. It's very small. You know, I would hope that our country, I would hope 75 or 80% of our population would vote for president. It's more like 30, right? And I know there's electoral college and I know there's what could be seen as a disconnect there, but your vote does count. Your vote does matter. So go do it, people, please. Yes, exactly. All right. So that's it. That's not week. it. We have the IBM t-shirt giveaway. Well, no, I was talking about for the articles. For the articles. So you want to re- win a really cool shirt, go to the show notes, click on the link, register to win. You know, Paige had IBM asked me yesterday or day before for that list. I didn't realize how big it was. It's like over 1,100 people have signed up to win that IBM. That's awesome. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Yay. So if you haven't won one and you've registered, go register again. You can re- register each week. IBM asked me if I wanted to keep that as a giveaway or find something else. I go, nah, we're keeping it. Too many yeah, people like it. Yeah. So go win one. And if you win one, send us a picture or even tag us on social. Tag us on social, send us a picture. And and we have swag sitting in the OGGN Global Warehouse that we're getting ready to start giving away. Global Warehouse. <laughs> Sounds a- funny. AKA Pages Office. <laughs> Pages Office. <laughs> <laughs> in a cardboard box in the yeah. corner. Yeah, but maybe. we have it. Yeah. So folks go register to win. Then- Weekly rig count. What's going on with that, Paige? All right. So in the United States, we have 244 rigs. We're down three. Canada, 54. We're actually up seven. Yay, Canada. Internationally, we have 743, and we're down 38. Okay. Speaking of not being down 38, guess what we're doing? What? Me and Warren are doing our first OGG and Street Team Happy Hour. Oh, cool. Yeah, actually, I, I think I got a notification about that before this. I can't remember the date, even though he just told it to August me. August 25th. Something like that. But if you're a Facebook, go find the OG and Street Team. Go join. So we're just going to get on the on, on the Zoom call with our Street Team members. We're looking for new Street Team members. So we're going to give away hard hat stickers. I've been extremely negligent, Street Team. I am so sorry in taking care of y'all, showing some love. And well, so, you're kind of a busy guy. Yeah. So, so we finally figured out just to let Warren do it. So Warren is now in charge of the Street Team. He will absolutely be doing some really cool stuff with y'all, engage with y'all, more active stuff, making it valuable. And like I said, our first OG and Street Team happy hour is soon. If you haven't joined the Street Team, join just so you can hang out and drink with us, even though it's virtual. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll probably show up just because you said drinks. <laughs> Works for me. That's the only reason I'm showing up. <laughs> and then travel. Uh, we have not been doing much of that, although we had a discussion today about actually live streaming an API luncheon event in November. Is that when that picks back up? Well, they, they reached out to me. I'm on the board. By the way, people don't just randomly reach out. I'm the director of public relations. But we're actually thinking about taking our leadership live stream during trouble times and actually doing it from the API luncheon. Go ahead and bring our, our videography crew, three or four cameras set up. Don't know if we're going to be able to pull it off or not yet, but we're working on that. But speaking of traveling, you know, even OGGN is starting to think about opening things up a little bit. We got invited to Norway for the first quarter of next year. Stuff to make a decision whether we're going to do that or not. But if, if you want any of us, any of our experts to come to your event, your social industry insider, you know, your school event, uh, we love doing stuff with universities. The only place I'm comfortable with going right now is New Zealand. Because <laughs> it's zero. Or if you want us to come to New Zealand, right, let us know. We'll be happy to work in details. We're still, still haven't made a decision as a company whether we're going to uh, start letting people out or not. Not that I have everybody locked up downstairs 
anymore. <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> but but it's on the it's on the event horizon. And also, you know, people are reaching out to to us about doing virtual events, which we can talk about that too. And then first Friday QA, you know the deal. Go to oilandgasthisweek.com, click ask a question, which by the way, our new website should be up soon. So hurry up and do that because that's gonna go away. Yeah, aren't we gonna create a, a new link for that for everybody to go to ask a question yeah it'll be on the OGGN website soon instead of oil and gas this week all right while you're at the oil and gas this week website go ahead and give us your email address we use that to let the cool kids know the stuff that we're doing first we promise not to spam you and then linkedin our linkedin page is over forty thousand followers and growing strong go sign up there that's a cool place to hear about what's going on with all the podcasts i have to spend a whole lot of time reading things speaking of not spending a whole bunch of time Paige, it's time to get out here yes you ready Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here are events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.